Welcome back to another episode of Witty Banter. Your hosts Nabil, Daniel, and Anika are here. My voice is temporarily out, so I'll be talking softly on this one. And our special guest today is Gerardo Pacheco. Gerardo, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, yeah. Um, so maybe we could just start off by telling us a little bit about um, what you do. Um, I know you teach. So maybe you could talk a little bit about that and where you teach. Yeah. Well, thank you. Th- first of all, thank you for the invitation. I think that's uh, that's really nice, you know, being here on a Sunday afternoon yeah. Yeah. and learning a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm an instructor at a community college, at Kenyatta College, and um, and I'm also write. I'm a writer. Um, I try to write poetry as much as possible. And what came first? It. What came first, the the writing or the teaching? Hmm, the learning, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, T- you were us. my instructor at some point, so. <laughs> tell us more about your journey from, you know, learning to teaching to writing, and mm-hmm. you know what you write about. Well, I think everything begins um, at Kenyatta College. You know, mm-hmm. learning English as a second language, and then um, getting um, starting writing in. Um, going to college, I mean, to university to get, you know, that degree um, as a MFA and then just getting, um, writing a little bit and afterwards um, getting to teaching. So first writing, then mm-hmm. teaching, I guess. That's mm-hmm. the way it, it came. Now, you, you write in more than, I mean, you speak more than one language. Tell us a bit about the languages you speak and then how how and why. And Yeah, so I'm a... Uh, native Mayan and um, I do speak a little bit of Mayan and I understand a lot of Mayan um, but my English is better than my Maya and my Spanish is. Mm-hmm. Is the, was the Mayan civilization, was that all in Mexico or did that spread further south too? So we, we covered from Honduras, Guatemala, El Salvador, all that Central America in <coughs> Yucatan, Mexico and the south of, you know, of, of Mexico. Gotcha. So we were um, spread all over that area. Is your poetry in like primarily in English or what? Yeah. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And that's the the um, kind of strangest thing because, um, like I say, um, I learned the language and then with that learning also came learning to write poetry. Oh, okay. So it's a difficult thing to pull, you know, to write something in Spanish. In my English, that's that's another. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us more a bit about why uh, the language of your birth is difficult to be creative in. I don't know. I I get lazy when I when it when it comes to writing in Spanish. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't hear the same musicality of the words or the in- inspiration doesn't come mm-hmm. when it is in um, as it is in in, in English. Mm-hmm. So I guess it's part of the instruction too. Um, Going through that master program in, in English makes mm-hmm. a, I mean, I, at least in my case, made a whole lot of difference. So um, when it comes to my native uh, language, it's a difficult thing to just say, I'm going to I'm going to write something. Do you think that has to do with like maybe when you learn your first language, you're learning it more uh, as a utility just to communicate with people. And then maybe when you picked up your second language, you kind of you're thinking about it more and maybe that sparks more imagination is that do you think that could be the reason or 
in a way i think it's uh it, it, it yes i think there is something about that in that in a second language you find a way of of expressing something mm. and um I've been speaking English for now maybe 15, 20 years or so. Mm -hmm. uh, no more than that. But So I, I guess I've been using more English than Spanish and then Mayan for, a long, for the longest. Mm -hmm. So I think that actually counts into how to express. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to poetry, I believe it's, um, it's all about tools. And I think that's the way I was taught how to write poetry in English. Yeah. But your imagery is all, or maybe of the poems that I am familiar <laughs> with, and you can kind of clarify yeah. your, your, the images and the metaphors that you've used, but um, for many of your poems, you have used images and metaphors that are related to your, you know, life in Mexico. And mm -hmm. um, so what's the relationship between the images or your experiences and the language of your choice? That's a really good, nice. I mean, it's a really good question because I've been thinking about what is poetry and what am I writing poetry lately. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's, um, it's, it's, you know, the way I see poetry is uh, you're you're writing a story, and it's it's just about the way you communicate a story. So for me, writing poetry is also accessing to my my background my history and and those memories that i have as a kid in mexico um so when i write and um i tend just to share a story mm -hmm. let me tell a story and um and with that you know i just go back to what i know mm -hmm. which is what i left in mexico and what i lived there what experienced there too so do you imagine if you ever left California, which I don't know why you would, but if you did, uh, would would does the distance help you huh. to create the imagery? I think so. I think so. It's also it's also not only the the distance, but it's that um, the memory of what you what you experience at the time. Mm -hmm. So the connections that you have, right? Mm -hmm. As I'm getting older, it's, it's becoming more. Um, more clear that um, what I lived as a kid is 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 really coming to the forefront of what I'm what I'm writing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I just wrote a poem or a collection of poems about my family and 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 it's it's just basically all about memories, right? Mm -hmm. um, and the way I saw things and the way I saw specific um, issues within my family. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But memory is really important. And yes, I think, you know, when you, if I ever leave California. <laughs> that would be... So you've written about your family. And we're family sitting here. <laughs> and we know we all have different memories of things. Yeah. And have you created any level of conflict in your family with the memories, the way you see them, and how others in your family see those memories? Well, not really, because... Or, or acceptance yeah. or, or, you know, family members saying, huh, that's interesting. You saw it that way. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, or yes, I, I totally agree. This is exactly how I saw that memory as well. Mm, actually, it, no, I haven't had a conversation with my, mm -hmm. my, my siblings about that. But 
I use one of my sister's story to access all the memories, if you will. Mm -hmm. and, and that leads me to, um, because my sister is uh, maybe 10, 12 years, years older. Mm -hmm. So she had opportunity to live with my grandparents and my uncles, mm -hmm. which I didn't have. And um, that actually gives an opportunity to see a different perspective. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like I'm asking her, she's telling me, right? She's, and I'm processing this and then those stories come back into my own writing and, mm -hmm. and, and kind of like just, you know, and I'm relieving them, but I'm, I'm So it's a memory, uh, it's someone else's memory reinterpreted <laughs> through the filter of your own recognition or yeah. perspective yeah. of the space. Um, and, and I'm wondering now with our two hosts here, mm -hmm. they have a connection with a culture which is unique and different and... Um, and memories that are not are second-hand memories because they come through parents or people who have lived in a certain area, you know, well, at a certain time. Uh, I was thinking two things. One with when we were talking kind of about linguistics and having you mm -hmm. know multiple languages. Do you think that the way or whatever language you were brought up with shapes the way you think? Because I've heard, at least in the German language, that a lot of their uh, tense is future tense and so there's a theory that because they're always thinking in future tense that they're always planning for the future do you think like I guess both of you can answer that because we're not mm. bilingual <laughs> <laughs> you, uh, you're attempted you're, bilingual yeah attempted bilingual <laughs> <laughs> failed <Don't> bilingual on the Beal can speak a little code yeah. So. <laughs> sure. I, maybe eventually he'll be thinking in code. I, well, that's what I was is... thinking as well. That code being a language as well, and I was wondering yeah. if he was picking up. Too no, I, I don't really think. And it's like I think about like what the end uh, product will be. Like, ooh, it'll be cool if like, like I like the idea of thinking about games. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, oh, it'd be cool if I had a game where I could do this functionality. But do you think it translates? But I don't. But coding for me is just like a means to the end. Mm -hmm. So I don't really like uh, like would think in code like the way you have like components in code. Like, you think that might yeah. be a way on a more you're... macro level. I'll think yeah. like okay, like if I'm trying to solve a problem, I'll think like how am I going to solve this problem? Connect these two components together. But I won't like think very micro level. Like mm. okay, this is exactly the function that I have to write to connect these two. Mm. I just think oh, I have to connect these two so then do it. But no, I don't really. Uh, thinking it but you were what were you saying i was just saying like do you think it translates at, at all into your real life like <laughs> the way i come like oh, create oh, components in my room yeah or, well you I, I organize mean, my room or it helps you like my... maintain a logical way of thinking um either something works or it doesn't yeah or you just like and even to solve like human problems you try and apply your uh because you're you're basically problem solving, mm. so you try and apply those same skills to like human uh, human problems, but sometimes it doesn't translate, <laughs> translate <laughs> as easily. Um, what about Urdu or or Spanish or Mayan? Well, yeah. you know, I, it's interesting because we're both teachers yeah. of language, mm -hmm. and our end goal, you know, when you talk about what's the end goal, yeah. um, we use language to teach language. Yeah. Um, but you also use language to be creative and create poetry. Yeah. Um, 
So rather than me answering that question, I'm going to pose it to Hiran. It's a question with a question. (laughs) (laughs) Deflect. Yes, yes, exactly. (laughs) Well, Uh, I guess it's it's kind of like, you know, the way um, you learn the language, right? mm -hmm. And then you had the ability, you had this pool of of words, language, and then what do you do with that? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, for some people, it's um, it's an immediate thing, right? You can use their work, you can use it, and I think I went through that same phase. But um, what happened to me while I was doing that it was that um, I got into writing, mm-hmm. and writing is also another way of um, expressing what you're going through, what you've lived, or what you experience, right? And um, my background, or at least my story, coming to the United States. Um, is full of, um, you know, hardships, if you will. Mm-hmm. And, and that actually leads, leads me to need a way of saying things. Mm. And I think that's where, where language comes, right? Um, you get to learn the language, and then you start thinking about, what am I going to do with this? Mm-hmm. And then you start sharing your own experiences, if you will. Tell us about where the poetry started the poetry in English? What was the beginning? Can I just interject? So just um, related to like the motivation to write. So for you, uh, is the motivation to, is there a relief in expressing yourself? So you you talked about like maybe part of your history, there's a lot of hardships and maybe I imagine it's, 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 you know of it, um, but maybe, you know, nobody else does. Is, Is the motivation a, like I want to write so I can express myself and that once I express it, it's like, ah, I've, I've expressed it. Is that the motivation for you or is it something else? I think it, it is <laughs> that, right? I mean, it's kind of like who writes a story is the person who tells, you know, truth about you, right? So for me, writing my story is one, um, sharing what I know and sharing or releasing at least um, something that is, that I'm struggling with. Mm-hmm. And and um, and yes, so I think that's that's, that's the motivation. main yeah the motivation yeah yeah. Huh. Go ahead, you were <laughs> so so my question was related to yeah. that. W- at what point did you feel that you needed this catharsis through poetry, or that you felt the epiphany that you know I, this is now I can use a language in this way? Tell us a bit about that starting of this part of the creative element in your life. So. I think you know, as a as an instructor, right? Mm-hmm. When we go to 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 learn how to teach, mm-hmm. if you will, we take those classes where you you're told, oh, if you you know, at some point you become immersed in the language. Mm-hmm. So that's what happened to me. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was learning the language, I really I really loved you know writing, just mm-hmm. writing sentences and trying them, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, it gets to a point where something breaks in my head, where I can't write full sentences. And then I start writing small stories, like short stories, if you will, right? Of, of what I know, what I do, things mm-hmm. like that, right? Journaling, if mm-hmm. you will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then um, it comes to the point where um, I was asked to write a couple poems about, um, I guess, what is to be um, an immigrant student at Kenyatta College or so. And then I think that was the, the first moment mm-hmm. when I was kind of like, hmm. I like this. <laughs> so I um, 
that was the 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 I think that the the moment when I realized that I could write something, mm-hmm. and and people will pay attention in a way, right? Mm-hmm. And then I think that's the moment when when everything begins. And and then how did that convert to poetry? Because poetry, I mean, you start by saying, putting sentences together, but poetry is reducing sentences to some extent, isn't it? Yeah. I guess, you know, it's also, you know, like I say, it goes back to that whole idea of the story. Mm -hmm. You share a story, you share something personal, and then you got to just put it into a specific form. Mm -hmm. And that's what poetry is, right? As coding, as any Mm -hmm. other language, right? You find a, a, a little, um, you know, mold, if you will, mm-hmm. and then you just put it there. Mm-hmm. So that's what poetry does. Poetry is just the form, right? Mm-hmm. But um, it, it, it's true. You In poetry, you are encouraged to take words away because you need a specific line meter, a specific, you know, um, rhythm, etc. Um, so I think, you know, if you think about of a, of a longer story, you put it into, you know, a couple lines. Mm-hmm. And that's the beauty of poetry, right? With less lines, you can transmit a lot of messages. And I think that's the beauty of poetry, and that's why poetry has lasted as, you know, as much as it has. So it's kind of that whole concept of minimalism and and taking away from, and, and I wonder again, you know, is there, do you feel that that taking away actually helps focus on things so that's kind of my first question including you know the two of you as well but the other question that before I forget it because I could very easily forget this Mm -hmm. is of these stories that you have written in poetry I hope that you have brought you know one or two with you that you'd like to share with us if if you would like Mm -hmm. Uh, but the other thing I was going to ask you is there any that you think at some point I think I want to rephrase this story this poem and give it a d- different structure of course i think you know um that's a struggle um how can you retell that story in a different a different way and a different um perspective mm-hmm. and um and you know um i think that's the <laughs> that's the next thing that you know i i need to go back and see how can i do that but, yeah. that's actually funny because um mm-hmm. in coding a lot of times you'll <laughs> you'll write some sort of functionality and then you'll always go back and be like, okay, how can I make this code mm-hmm. cleaner? How can I reduce it? Right now it's like 50 lines. I want to accomplish the same thing in like 20 lines. Mm. Um, so yeah, and that, sometimes you have to just, some, sometimes you can't spend too much time on that because then you're going to lose out on making other things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just noticed that relationship. Uh, <clears throat> it depends on the context of it, I guess. Because mm-hmm. I was just thinking of like, whenever you look up uh, recipes for food, mm-hmm. sometimes they'll write like a lengthy story of like how they created this recipe, how their grandmother, and really mm-hmm. you're just looking for the recipe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you're like scrolling through this like paragraph, is like, okay, I just want to see the half cup of eggs or half cup of milk or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it depends on the context. Because if you're telling a story about your life you need context of you know um but uh, of all the details and uh, so that people can get the idea but if you're doing something like coding or if you're trying to get a function done Mm -hmm. um or if you're just trying to get a message across uh more punctually then yeah i would say shorter is better yeah in general i would agree that if you can make something uh shorter more succinct then uh more people are going to understand it 
quickly. Yeah. And in this era of big data, yeah. <laughs> you don't have a lot of opportunity. The reader's going to look and that was too long. Our Next. attention span is less than a minute. So. But, they, but there's the beauty of that extra kind of, you know, embellishment of something as well. Um, you know, the story, I, I'm somehow that I find more interesting of, you know, is there a story behind this recipe <laughs> and that will help the recipe stay with right. me and, and on that note Gerardo, mm-hmm. at any point what kind of cook are you and do you yeah. imagine that you would ever write you know something about cooking a poem about cooking. <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> uh, not really though I mean um, yeah if not about cooking I think but it's more about the process of making food right mm-hmm. um, I have um but it's more kind of like um, in that collection of poems that I that I just finished, I have a couple of poems about killing things, mm. slaughtering, right? So um, there is a poem that it it, it goes back to um, to that whole thing of memory, mm. um, how you imagine killing a pig, but at the same time it's um, in the perspective of a child of a of a young person, mm-hmm. and and the whole idea is kind of like how you get to kill this thing um and then in a couple poems down there there is more about cooking but it's not like cooking like no no i get it and the reason one i you know what's interesting is you said killing and then immediately you switched to slaughtering Mm -hmm. just because you know the reaction to killing (laughs) yes Mm -hmm. and and I know they have memories of slaughtering oh, animals, no. which yeah. is, which again is, yeah, and maybe you want to share that memory because it sounds similar to the kind of memory that you had. I don't know if you have a traumatic memory. Yeah, well, mine was, uh, so in Muslim tradition, when your child is born, I believe uh, you have a goat slaughtered and then, you know, you cook kind the meat. celebratory. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. then you cook the meat and then some goes to the family and then others goes to like uh, the poor yeah. Uh, oh, wow. well, I guess so, the story behind it was that uh, yeah. who were the I don't even know I just know that like they replaced the child like God told. Oh no, that's that's or is the that that's the tra- Abrahamic tradition oh, okay. for celebrating Eid. But uh, slaughtering yeah. animals where was the context is a of common the goat thing though. Yeah, that was in the because uh, you know um, the concept of uh, sacrifice something which is most dear to you, oh, and okay. and he ended up sacrificing or. Tempted, getting ready right? to sacrifice it's Tempted, a yeah. biblical but did he story. turn it into a goat or did and he turn then, something then it turned into a goat okay, okay. so in memory of that okay, yeah, yeah. that event that's what i thought so yeah so but we didn't have a, a, like a goat a sacrifice when we were born it was when we were older i don't know i was eight eight or nine maybe yeah um and i didn't know like how like it all worked us. so like <laughs> they brought a goat and then like this guy came and i, I don't speak urdu so <clears throat> he brought the uh, butcher knife like towards me just to, so I can put my hand on it to like bless it. Mm. But I was thinking, oh, he wants me to like take the knife. Oh, <laughs> so I was like, I, I can't do this. <laughs> and then I think either my mom or dad was like, no, no, just put your hand on the knife. You don't have to do anything. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, it's pretty gr- gruesome to yeah. watch. We watched so. him bleed out. <laughs> yeah. It was not but, pretty. But, but it's, it, what's interesting is we sanitize slaughter and killing yeah. here. I mean, it's we eat just as much meat, probably more meat than many other countries mm-hmm. in this country, but 
think we just disconnect it. Yes, yeah. yes. The killing portion, because most yes. of it is obviously mm-hmm. factory. Done. Yes. And even and then, it's not that clean. Yes. If you look at the conditions of it, yeah. <laughs> they're like, yeah. the, yeah. the cages are very small and stuff, but like we're so disconnected from that. But what what is your memory and what what were you kind of in the poem that you have written about the slaughtering of a, a pig? So this is a specific um, poem deals with you know um, slaughtering or killing this pig, right? But it's um it's kind of like a bond between um, a father and a son mm-hmm. because as a young kid I remembered that we um, once in a while my dad you know we uh, would sacrifice kill or mm-hmm. you know slaughter a pig um in order for him to sell the meat and you mm-hmm. know make mm-hmm. some money out of it and i remember that he would tell me um oh i'm gonna wake you up but you know at the beginning he would tell me mm-hmm. but then he would just forget right mm-hmm. but i'll be like hey you know wake me up i wanna i wanna see this I you wanted to see it, the right? slaughter yeah mm-hmm. i wanna i wanna be part of it i wanna help you and and, mm-hmm. and just you know, be around, I guess, yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. And um, so what happens is that the poem is that it's just a memory of, um, of you know, kind of like imagine that I, uh, that I woke up and I was part of this, seeing everything that I was seeing. Mm-hmm. And um, the connection is between the um, the father and son. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like that memory, yes. that relationship. And then it goes back to the, to the pig in a way of um, describing what the pig does before mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. killed. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, it's a kind of interesting uh, memory. Yeah, you know, yeah. I I do have in my novel I have a scene, oh. a slaughter scene as well. The uh, boar. Uh, no, actually, because spoiler pigs, alert. Yeah, <laughs> no, the boar, <laughs> boar is not slaughtered. It's um, partly because religiously they it doesn't happen there. Mm-hmm. This was a cow being slaughtered uh, during Eid. Mm. Um, and the whole concept of, there's this concept of you're celebrating and you're, this animal mm. is, um, is, and some people will bring up the animal, you know, kind of like, like anyone yeah. in a farm, you mm. bring this up, and, but it's not a pet, but it's an animal that you have brought up. Yeah. And then this animal is slaughtered. Yeah. But no hard feelings, <laughs> basically. Well, it's it's it's, a, it's what the function is, right? I mean, in, at least in my my hometown, mm-hmm. we had a relationship with uh, um, with stock, like you know, with uh, animals that mm-hmm. you know you need to kill or you need mm-hmm. to you know consume yes. at some point. Um, yeah, so it's interesting how that uh, relationship develops and mm-hmm. how when it comes to that moment. I, I think, you know, people do have um, feelings towards the animal, right? Because it's a, it's a living thing. Mm-hmm. But it's a different thing. You know that you have to do it because you need to sell the meat. And if you don't do it, yeah, you don't have money. Well, th- that was the other thing which surprised me is um, growing up in a, in a village in Pakistan, when the uh, cow died of natural causes, it was extremely traumatic. Hmm. Because, you know, that that was a livelihood. And so people would actually mourn the death of a cow. And it wasn't because they missed the cow. It's they missed the opportunity to benefit their family by slaughtering the cow Mm. and Mm. selling the meat or, you know, so or having the cow to for milk production or whatever. So uh, I was surprised to see the level of trauma it created, not realizing the trauma was really about the functionality of the cow.
cow. Mm. It wasn't about the relationship with the cow. Mm. Uh, maybe it was. I don't know. I mean, I, I never really got to talk in detail to, with anyone about it. I just observed it and thought, hmm, okay. But there is that level of mourning. Yes. You know that that's yes. important. Yes. Yes. At, it's an important some level. something that is missing and, and because everything tends mm. to count. Mm-hmm. I, and it, it goes, I think, you know, and I, I'm, I'm in the habit of bringing things around to the same place. It goes back to whether we, we talk about poetry or mm-hmm. coding, that mm-hmm. do we as a society end up having a lot more in general than we really need? And therefore, the mourning doesn't even happen mm-hmm. because it's not, nothing is really that important anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and is that where we are in the bay area for example we would we would never mourn a cow dying i think it goes to that retention span i think yeah. it's a, it's we're so trained now that you know to just you know skip to the next thing yeah and then it's that i think that's a cultural thing that is happening here and mm-hmm. that's what i think you know It'd probably be when you get an abundance of the resource then it stops yeah. being um <clears throat> so significant mm-hmm. um, and if it's not a livelihood too and yeah, and if it's not a livelihood, then you wouldn't uh, do something like mourn it. Probably be more traumatized by like a phone breaking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <That's>, or your, <laughs> well, actually, or yeah, your TV falling. That would be the equivalent yeah. of that. Yeah. It's all perspective in your environment. <laughs> or oh, phone falling in water. And, well, now know. they're waterproof. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> or not being able to, not having the coverage so you could get a replacement in time. Mm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. If you don't have cellular data. Yeah. That's like... so i know earlier we were talking about like um trying to find inspiration and what i do sometimes or a lot is um i like to i like to rearrange my workspace so sometimes i'll work downstairs sometimes i'll move my furniture upstairs um are there kind of small things that you do like moving around furniture to try and spark uh motivation and inspiration I know you had mentioned you like going for hikes and stuff. Is there anything else that you... I'm trying to find some tips on how to stay motivated. <laughs> I, g- I got to be honest and say that, you know, for motivation... Motivation, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just inspiration or motivation, both. Just something to like... So like coding for me, you know, I stopped working in the, the business field because I, I initially found it interesting. Just I liked coding. Um, but I needed more to keep me going. Um, so I'll think about what all the possibilities, all the things, the apps I can make, mm-hmm. all the functionality I can make. Um, so there's a kind of, there's a, that's the kind of inspiration and motivation, but there's, t- there's dips where it's like, I, I don't really care like about it. And sometimes that, sometimes when I move things around, like it helps reignite it. If I'm in a different space, I, go back and think oh man like i can make this right now um in in particular when we were talking about Mm -hmm. you now being a full-time professor faculty at at kenyatta and and how you know your passion for teaching is there but somehow it's overpowering your passion for being a poet yeah uh, and how much ever creative you are in the classroom, it's, it seems to be sapping away from your creativity as a poet. Mm-hmm. Um, have you intentionally made any changes in your surrounding or your lifestyle to reach out to that creative element in you as a poet? 
So the answer is probably no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's it's a different um, as I as I was trying to explain early on, right? When I was an agent and I was mm-hmm. uh, four different colleges, and then even before that, when I was working at the restaurant, mm-hmm. and I had to work maybe two shifts. I'll come back home and I'll write, mm-hmm. which is, I guess, you know, it's, it's, you know, why, where, I mean, working as in a, in a restaurant and working as instructor or as a, you know, professor, it's not, it's not the same. Mm-hmm. So what I'm trying to get at, I think, is that when I was working at the restaurant, I was able to keep that side of my head that said, oh, you want to just write now, right? Mm-hmm. But now it's more kind of like, oh, I got to think about how, what I'm going to teach and, and things like that, right? So it's, it's a little... It's You're probably a, mentally exhausted after teaching. Yeah, I think that's what is happening. Mm-hmm. And, and what I'm trying to do right now is trying to go back to my old notes mm-hmm. and say, what are some of the ideas that I had or what are some, what are some of the, the images that I was working you know, before or what is the story that I wanted to write before? And I have a lot, a lot of started, you know, started half, not even half, but you know, um, stories. But I've never, I, I don't, I don't find that little, you know, the spark. What was the back. impetus in the past? Um, because I, I feel, uh, being in the company of others who are interested in the same thing as me helps mm-hmm. motivate me sometimes. Mm-hmm. It, but what's interesting here is um, where. On the one hand, people can and others can inspire and help you think, but in the case of teaching, it's actually not inspiring to be creative. Mm. It's using your mental energy and mm-hmm. your capacity. Um, and how do you think you, you will switch that around? What, what process will you use? When do you think, you know, if you could predict the future if you had the germanic uh, predictability of the future mm-hmm. how would you move forward and predict your returning to poetry do you think um like if you taught some sort of i i think i might have missed this but what uh, do you teach english mm-hmm. um, english is a second language english is a second language mm-hmm. if you taught if you were a professor of like um some creative writing or poetry poetry class. Um, do you think that could be something where you're you're teaching other people kind of the the basics that you've figured out? Um, and then I don't know, maybe thinking about that kind of can help you think about more advanced things. Is that what professors yeah. do in even higher higher education? Like. Yeah. PhD relate this, relate what's in the classroom with their you, like oh, when you were doing PhD stuff were your professors like were they working on more advanced things as they were teaching in the field they were researching yes they mm. were definitely and that's I think the difference between a four-year institution and a two-year institution in two-year institutions we are primarily instructors teachers mm-hmm. we're not expected to do research mm-hmm. now even though you're not expected to do you can you know find ways to be creative so it's extremely beneficial from the student perspective to have faculty mm-hmm. who are trained faculty who mm-hmm. who know about teaching and learning and they're not distracted by their research projects however for the individual professor sometimes, as we're noticing, mm-hmm. it can be 
kind of a balance of how do I find my personal fulfillment if there's more to my personal fulfillment or professional fulfillment in addition to teaching class as well, but there's something else I would like to do to to demonstrate my creativity. So that's kind of the difference between uh, the systems, but you know, and I'm going to push Gerardo a bit further yeah. again and say, how do you and ask you how do you anticipate yourself being able to find a balance between your professional responsibility in the classroom? and your personal and I would suggest professional responsibility mm -hmm. as a poet of returning to being a creative poet and expressing your very valuable perspective because you bring a perspective yeah. that is not commonly shared. This is why Michael was afraid. <laughs> Michael doesn't want to get grilled. <laughs> By the wrath of Anika. And Faisal, too. And they, he's like, whew, dodged a bullet. <laughs> Mom was sick that day, so. <laughs> if, we find, if we find the answer today, yeah. I'll be super happy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, think it's, um, I think it's just that, you know, um, it's kind of like, like the calling of the wild, if you will, mm -hmm. you know? Um, at some point, it's going to, that energy or that, that, what is whatever it's called poetry writing mm -hmm. people is mm -hmm. gonna call me back and it's gonna come back to me mm -hmm. um for right now at least um i'm still doing my you know writing a little bit reading writing reading writing in in terms of just not to forget um about the tools and the techniques etc just practicing if you mm -hmm. will mm -hmm. um but i think it's it, it's just time yeah. in a way that you know that that to settle in yeah the, mm -hmm. the call of the poetry is going to come back and it's going to make that you know appearance again in my I, i'm in sure my though you must think of the you know your gerardo 10 years ago in what is it now 2019 so <laughs> 2009 yeah, you know yeah. the gerardo in 2009 and and if he could see where you are now mm -hmm. um what do you think you would because i think of myself and i think oh you know Ten years ago, what was I doing? And and I've now written this book, and it's you know, going to be published. Yeah. And did I think I would be able to do it? No, it still surprises me that that has happened. What, from your perspective, do you think ten years ago, Gerardo, you would be so surprised if you saw what Gerardo Pacheco is doing today? Wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I think it's basically, uh, what are you proud about? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what, what accomplishments do you feel? I, I've done what I would wow. not have imagined. Well, in 2009, I was uh, still at, at the uh, university. Okay. On my M M M doing my MFA. Mm -hmm. So I was just I was graduating from with my uh, bachelor's. Mm -hmm. And um, I was thinking about going back to school. I, and I was writing a little bit. I think, you know, if you will, I have accomplished a lot in a, in a way I've published you know mm -hmm. some poems here and there and I think that's a big accomplishment mm -hmm. <laughs> it's not easy as you probably yes. yeah. have um, experience and um, and now I'm um, in teaching mm -hmm. which I didn't really have a clear in 2009 I think right mm -hmm. uh, but now it's uh, it's something that is with me and I mm -hmm. really I embrace that mm -hmm. I embrace the opportunity mm -hmm. and um yeah, I think you know, and you, I'm keep on keep writing, mm -hmm, yeah, mm -hmm. here and there. Yeah. What about the two <laughs> of you? What yeah, What, what do you too. think? Yeah. Uh, it was, I think I was, 
I was thinking about law school at that time. Well, thinking about like that's mm-hmm. the career path I would mm-hmm. go, because um, I didn't really think about marketing or anything like that professionally. Uh, and then interest-wise, I mean, it's pretty much stayed the same: video mm-hmm. games, cooking. Mm-hmm. Uh, Were you interested in cooking back then? Hmm. Uh, pizzas, I feel. Yes. Like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pizzas and. So, so Daniel has picked up this whole repertoire of cooking, which wow. is unique to any of the rest of us in the family, because I, none of us are structured cooks. Mm-hmm. But, you know, right talk, now, talk a bit about focused on like stir fries. Yes. I think it, it's always phases of like what I'm interested in. Yes. Um, so yeah, now it's like whatever stir fry I can like look up and find out mm-hmm. about, and then I'll start making. But that. all the materials. But all the mat- are... Yeah, I think mm-hmm. I'm more interested in the materials. So like. Uh, sharpening knives on like a whetstone, like just maintaining that. The yeah. cutting board, cast iron takes a lot of maintenance. Uh, so in a way, like sometimes I'm more interested in the actual like, ut- or like material than the actual cooking. I'm curious yeah. um, wow. what uh, Mayan cuisine is like. So I imagine yeah, I, that too. <laughs> I imagine <laughs> I imagine Mexican food is a combination of the people who were there before it was Mexico. Yeah. Uh, so Spanish and Mayan, and I, I don't know whoever else was there. <laughs> Mayans. Oh, Mayans. Spanish. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I, it was not in order. I was just... <laughs> it was not in order. <laughs> um, so I'm curious, like, what kind of, uh, what kind of, uh, what are some traditional Mayan dishes? Because I have no idea. Um, I guess, you know, or, or I'm, I'm, not, not, I'm not the best one to be okay. at, but I guess, you know, there is a really different way of cooking there we use a lot of um of what we have around meaning that mm. you know we use a lot of wood we mm-hmm. use a lot of you know the earth mm-hmm. as well to cook as ovens and things like that mm. tell us a bit about that what what do you mean use the earth as an oven <laughs> so we have this dish which is called um cochinita pibil and what cochinita pibil is it's basically pig it's basically pork right i okay. mean um what you do you just bury the pig okay. in a pit mm-hmm. with coal. Um, fire coal and all mm-hmm. that so um you got to be a really a really good cook i mean really good you know doing this uh, you have to know how many hours you have to leave that mm-hmm. maybe bury it and then um when you take it out you know it's it's ready so you season it and then wrap it up of in so what, what do you wrap it up in um you have this called achiote which is um seeds i guess you okay. know and and what you do you do kind of like a paste you smear the pig or you mm-hmm. you know yes and, and then you put it um with some moist yes you wrap it with the banana leaves and you put so it so you've in. eaten this meal you you've you've had you've eaten this <laughs> that's food. what i ate last time oh, oh you did okay <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> and when when is it when is it made? I mean, is there is it a special event kind of thing? Is it made and kept, you know, to eat whenever in the pantry or? <laughs> yes, I think you know you you don't make it every day mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yes, you make you supposed to make it kind of like whenever you have you know the the pig and whenever like a special holidays if you will. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, yeah. So you went back home after many years yeah. how, how long was the gap 18 years 18 More. years 18 years yeah. tell us about what your impression was about seeing your loved ones and family after 18 years and what was their impression of you you know even though you were phone conversations yeah. and so on but 
was was anything that stood out where people said oh my goodness Gerardo you're exactly the same or um, <laughs> you've changed um, well I haven't People no, I mean they, they never oh, you they didn't haven't ask. told me, right? Okay. I mean they haven't. <laughs> what were your thoughts? I, well, that's that's the thing. I I think you know uh, the life there, mm-hmm. um, it's really slow. Mm-hmm. Like um, like you put you know one of those videos in YouTube and you you know, slow it down. <laughs> that's the way I see it's things. Kind of, <laughs> to some extent, yes, I I know what you mean. And, and, and does it make you yeah? Does it make you impatient though? That's that's particularly because we're not living there, not working there. Yeah. So that's something which is worth thinking about. Yeah. I mean, of course. Yeah. And in my case, I was out of there for 18 years. So when I got there, it was like a culture shock, mm-hmm. and and everything moved slow. Mm-hmm. And I was expecting things to be faster, like here, right? Yes, yes. Um, which the, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, it's just that I was kind of like, hmm. Or did people slow things down because you were there? Was it kind of mm. we're in vacation mode? Otherwise, we wouldn't be having this huge meal, spending hours and hours yeah. preparing it. Maybe that too. <laughs> Maybe that too. But I think it's. Um, I've been there a couple of times and it's really, really. It, it is. You know. It, so it, just the day-to-day meal making, because I know that is kind of slow sometimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean everything. I mean, for instance, you know where I live, I don't have a car, so I have to go and get you know a bus. Uh, okay. And travel to whatever I have to. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And um, I have to walk all over pl- all over the place, which you is have to nothing work things wrong. Out. Yes. You know, no. But it's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. You know, things are done there, and and, and it takes time. That's when I say this. I slow. used to miss <laughs> I used to miss having lunch. Not that we don't have lunch here, but lunch here is just a snack. Yeah. And I missed that luxury of and I didn't it wasn't because I wanted to eat. It was just the okay, we don't have to work, you know, you've got now a couple of hours where you spend eating and then maybe you'll take a nap if it's the summer. <laughs> You know, and then really your day is done because, you know, as a teacher, we weren't expected to go back to school. Uh, you mm. know, the school started early. I was teaching there. Mm. I, I would go to school, I think, around 7 o'clock. Mm-hmm. We'd come home around 1.32. Yeah. And then the day was ours. I felt the workday here was so long. It was kind of 9 to 5. You go home <laughs> and it's dark. I mean, <laughs> now, I missed home, yeah. yes. <laughs> so I, I kind of had the... Re- I, some extent the reverse i do get impatient now sometimes when i go and mm-hmm. i think oh you know get things done mm-hmm. quickly and but you think oh but they will, there's the pleasure of slowing things down mm-hmm. um because what else am i going to do you know exactly what other great stuff am i going to take care of <laughs> you know if things happen quickly exactly so the um, rhythm of life i think is just, it's diff- different to get used to yeah yeah and the weather i mean over there is really hot but that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Tell us about. So the weather's hot there. Yeah. And um, but your lifestyle is based on the weather. All this sounds very similar to Pakistan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Almost identical. Yes. Just yes. the slow, the slowness. I mean, I, I guess I don't really interact with that many working people when mm-hmm. I was visiting there. Um, but. Yeah, so it just feels very slow, and then it's very hot. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, and sometimes the two are very closely interrelated because it's so hot. You can't really do anything or you have to do things earlier on in the day because by the midday it's really hot and you're going to just take a nap anyway Mm -hmm. uh, or you're going to be kind of half awake while you're doing stuff because it's too hot. Um, But I also wonder what what do we accomplish by life being so fast? Deadlines, meetings, <clears throat> more things. <laughs> more yeah, I don't things. know. That's a hard question. Um, yeah. Are we more productive? I guess it depends. Well, on I don't think just working nonstop is necessarily productive. Because, um, <clears throat> you know, we don't know. If someone says they work nine to five, we don't know. Like, yeah. Of those hours, how many are actual effective hours? Mm-hmm. Um <clears throat> kind of wanted to pivot a little bit so we were talking about like china recently and they're Mm -hmm. kind of accelerating their growth in the software field specifically artificial intelligence Mm -hmm. and i think the 60 was the 60 minutes they were saying that like they developed some tools to be able to um use machine learning to scan someone's face and determine if like they'd be a good teacher to children i mm-hmm, think mm-hmm. um and i was kind of curious so i've been hearing a few things about like china kind of coming up in the technology industry and competing with like the silicon valley is known to be the the hub of it but uh, clearly china is growing as well is there do you know of growing markets in mexico um it doesn't have to be technology but are there any industries that you know of that's, that that are growing, even just from maybe not global standards, but even from Mexico standards? Mm-hmm. Um, I know, f- and this is the only fact I know, is like Ford, I know, moved a lot of uh, factories to, to Mexico, I mm-hmm. think. Um, is there anything like that that you know of in regards to any sort of industry or anything? Yeah, I think, you know, I can't speak just um, what I've seen in my hometown, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There is an explosion of uh, people uh, preparing food in their homes and selling them. Oh, okay. okay. Home-cooked, but yes, catering. huge. Okay. I've seen videos of, like, people in L.A., like, they'll, not just, like, food trucks, but they'll kind of in, like, uh, Compton and uh, the uh, lower income areas they'll do like this they'll actually do this fusion it's like I think they called it like black Mexican or something I don't know if you saw the video but it's like they're taking Mexican food and infusing it with their oh yeah I think I've seen that yeah their kind of style and mm-hmm. but yeah they're they're kind of doing it in their front lawn and as a business and stuff so or they'll have like restaurants in their home kind of thing mm-hmm. where like people will come and mm-hmm. like they'll set up the meal and stuff and cook for them yeah so um, the food industry or the cooking in general and, is, yeah and i think social media thing. helps too because now i mean before i don't know it'd be kind of hard to get you would just get people get who people walk through the neighborhood but now you can if you have an instagram account um you can take a picture and then mm-hmm start promoting your so how are the cell phones i mean they're big in pakistan how is it in mexico yeah everyone has their cell phone and and are they using them kind of in the similar way that we use it here with you know social media and and whatsapp and all of those other facebook you know all that instagram they are connecting all of those i know in china they do uh 
like buying and selling or like a money transfers basically through yes. their phone yeah do they do the same thing in, in mexico i don't know if they do yeah, in Pakistan it's, too. it's, it's like the like, um what do you call it? it it allows it's kind of on the, on the same lines of like the cooking out of your home but it's these apps that like venmo it's an easy way for you know anybody to become a vendor of anything mm-hmm. right before you'd need to maybe work with a bank but now like the poorest of the poor as long as they have a cell phone they can set up an account and then they can collect money for whatever business they're doing and that's really changing the way um in india and pakistan yeah in india and pakistan and even yeah. i know i worked with my previous boss was from china she was mentioning that mm-hmm. in china too you could go to like um fruit vendors and now like they all have smartphones and you and they, they actually the money exchange yeah money exchange yeah, yeah exactly yeah, yeah. um so I've noticed one thing, and I don't know. I, it's based on no previous knowledge or no, not a lot of knowledge. But I, I feel that Mexico is very progressive in the arts, uh, competitively so. And and I say this now secondhand, based on some of the movies that we see coming out from, you know, in particular, Roma was one of them that I was just mentioning earlier. Yeah. I, I think. The director is from Mexico. I, I'm not sure, but yeah. it's one of those finalists for, you know, uh, movies, Sunday. Oscars. Yeah. Um, so it seems at least as much as uh, maybe I seek out that kind of thing. Mm. <laughs> you know, you never know if it's the reality, but it, it seems as if the arts are a place where Mexico City in particular, maybe, mm-hmm. or Mexico in general, I'm not sure, mm-hmm. is um, is leading in at least in the americas it seems like hmm. um i don't know if yeah if um, you you watch movies that much or you know uh not as much yeah. but you know if we just think about uh, art in general and and you think about what is the the the, the 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 heritage that you know cultures like mayans and aztecs mm-hmm. and um mm-hmm. and older civilizations left you mm-hmm. know, in Mexico, um, you have a case that, you know, yes, there is a lot of um, influence mm-hmm. as just the land and, you know, the art that there is mm-hmm. left there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Do you think there's, um, let's see, how do I word this? I have an idea. I don't know how to say it. Um, and it's not a controversial idea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, so you, you were talking about like... Um, uh, the heritage of art, um, yeah. at least in the United States, as it uh, is becoming a you know a mixing pot of races, do you think the heritage of art uh, becomes less important, um, at least for maybe art in the United States? You know, if somebody makes something and they're like 10 different races combined, let's say 100 years in the future. Oh, so it doesn't become race or culture specific because it's so, it's so, so uh, intertwined. Yeah. Does, the, does the whole mm-hmm. where it came from just uh, not matter anymore? Is that even a significant thing now? Um, yeah, it's a very... I don't think we're there yet. I, I don't... I feel the... Um, what were traditionally the either marginalized cultures or ethnicities or perspectives have not really infiltrated to the larger mass media um, or the mass arts, I, I feel. Um, and so 
I think we're not at that point where you pick up a book and you see all these different perspectives in mm-hmm. it where you're not you, you you know you're not looking for who's the author and who are the characters and what gender and you know all of that do you think there will ever be a time where you'll combine all of that into one lane like you said you don't see it in the mainstream mm-hmm. um i don't know i get this feeling that there will just be there will be the mainstream and then there will be all the other lanes and then you know maybe the mainstream will maybe one of the other streams will become a mainstream so but but it'll never combine into or the, the what you call the mainstream now will not necessarily be looking to pick up the outside lanes so part of the controversy i think about it is that some cultures or perspectives get suppressed when you bring things together so the i i would imagine that the goal is not to intertwine them to that mm-hmm. extent because things will go missing as you bring them closer mm-hmm. together and um you know if you don't have a mind poet for example yeah. um what the population of people who identify with mm-hmm. the Mayan heritage mm-hmm. and will it slowly disappear if, if mm-hmm. there's a more uh what's it called dominant, dominant. um culture or yeah. perspective um so the argument could be that you really don't want that to be the ideal yeah. because you always want the kind of a range of perspectives yeah. and you don't want one to disappear yeah. on the other hand the flip side of it is as far as evolution goes <laughs> i mean look at all the cultures exactly. that are not mm. existent anymore exactly. yeah so maybe it it's just part of the mm-hmm. yeah maybe it's just part of the human development i don't know yeah. i just contradicted myself which i do all <laughs> the time <laughs> so what's what's the significance of um art's impact on like the in a very functional way on like daily life um like for me i the art i enjoy would be like music uh and video games i enjoy art in those mediums um and it kind of it, it entertains me for the most part i don't know that it uh i don't know if it drives any change in my day-to-day life do you guys think that art plays a role in people's day-to-day lives it's a very controversial question now isn't it because <laughs> yeah, they, it's a very existential kind of question what is the role of art in you know human civilization yeah um and there's a very Beyond, important part yeah. it's not a it's and to some it might be the existence of humans is through art because you see when civilizations have been the most traumatized mm. that's times at least there've been times where art in some form has helped heal those mm. civilizations or helped heal those individuals mm. um so even though you might say we can drink and eat and and take care of the basic necessities I I do feel um because we now are living as what we said earlier on today that we're on the, we're not on the cusp of mm-hmm. trauma or tragedy mm-hmm. but if we were um that's probably where we might see more of the highlight of 
the role of art at this point it's we're so uh, surrounded by art in a variety of forms yeah. we just kind of take it for granted i think art is uh makes it easier to get other people's perspectives whereas mm-hmm. maybe you wouldn't be interested in just hearing someone talk if you hear them rap or if you hear them mm-hmm. hear their Read story a through a song or yeah, yeah yes. through a poem <laughs> or uh see it in a movie like it's a perspective you might not have seen before or Art, even thought yeah. they were living that life but it makes it more interesting yeah. so i think in that way it's important because where maybe art helps reveal truth where it's otherwise shrouded in day-to-day life yeah uh, and then also it can uh, avail the opportunity to uh, give he- people meaning so not necessarily on a large scale one piece of some art is not going to give purpose to a large group but if so, so if it gives purpose to one individual then uh, yeah. that could have a positive effect and then that can spawn you know who knows yeah. what that person is going to do in, in a positive way so yeah. maybe that yeah is some you of answered your own question yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so are, are we going to hear a poem or would uh, you rather sure. put oh you have okay go ahead yeah let me just pull my computer sure okay. and <laughs> and this is a good we're already at our one hour mark so this is a right. nice nice way to yeah and i just want to say that you know um I think art, in a way of um, of this uh, process of cre- creativity or creation, right, if you will, it's it's an important thing, and at least for me, that's what I use when it comes to you know um, write or get influence or mm-hmm. uh, inspire, if you will. Right. Um, art. So. So we will close out on the point. Uh yeah once yeah. And and our guest while Gerardo is setting up, mm-hmm. our guest next week is uh, the famous, infamous. Munim. Munim Rana. Yes. Munim Rana. Yes, I think so. He did agree. And then the week after that, we will be calling in to uh, England for Selma. And Gerardo, is there any any website you want to plug? Any anything you want the projects you're working on that you want the people out there to know about um no i I think you know i don't have i mean i do have a website but it's really um uh, what is it the opposite yeah the wordpress yeah well that's all right it's still got some of your poems so we'll 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 post that yeah i can put it in description but what what is the the name Uh, of the name (laughs) What is it? WordPress. Uh, okay, it's a something like that with WordPress. Okay, okay, I'll, I'll get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll send it to you guys. Sounds so, good. Okay. So I'm gonna read uh, um, that poem about the pig, okay. and um, since we're talking about, we spend a lot of time talking about memory. Uh, the title is "Have you ever listened to a pig being slaughtered at night?" A butcher, old as the wind, whistles in the middle of the night. He has turned his back to me and I stopped sharpening his ice pick. He's now looking for something in his burlap. Father hired the old butcher to slaughter the pig. On the, on the side of the empty street, the old man has built a fire. Father woke me up. I promised I could help with the pig slaughter. My job is to carry the pig intestines, the liver, and the heart to mi abuela. Mi abuela is too old by now. She cannot come down from our house to pick up her beloved trails anymore. Mi abuela doesn't like father. The fire swallows fireflies and cicades rush to the fire. A big metal cauldron sits over the fire. A black thing that soon glows red hot as the fire keeps on licking its button. 
The smell of solid lard melting in the cauldron rushes through my nostrils. I must pour water in, into the boiling cauldron. The smell of green wood burning at night clenches to my cloth and sweaty skin. The sound of scraping steel makes me stab. The old butcher has a grin in his face. He is ready to slaughter the pig. The pig paces back and forth behind the house and nuzzles mud. The pig knows death lingers too close to her long bones. Tonight, the pig can the pig can smell death just as I do, just as I do, burning in the melting lard and the hot boiling water. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you so much. Great. <laughs> yes. Um, and on that note, thank thank you viewers for watching, and we'll catch you next time. Toodaloo. Bye.